Hey guys, welcome to the Pilot's Lounge. It is your host, Nick Yates. In today's first episode, I'm going to be joined by my co-host, Spencer Payne. We're going to be talking about why we're starting the Pilot's Lounge, our side businesses, kind of what led us here to you know get where we're at now, and uh, what we hope to see out of this in the future. We appreciate you joining us from wherever you are listening. Welcome to the Pilot's Lounge. Welcome to the Pilot's Lounge, where it's all things aviation. Join us as we bring you aviators from around the world and every airframe. Hey guys, it's your host, Nick Yates, and I'm here with my co-host, Spencer Payne. The Pilot's Lounge is brought to you by Redcon One Solutions in partnership with Brotalian. Check us out at RedconOneSolutions.com and Brotalian.com for more information. Crashes happen, and like there's stuff that always makes the news that we always talk about at work, but like nobody ever really like beyond that like talks about how does that affect everyone else, you know, or Nobody's really drawn in dudes like Fred North or yeah. going out of their way to talk. Now, like um, Mentors for Military actually does a pretty good job at it. I've been That was the only podcast I've ever been on. And um, they've had, I can't remember her name, but she's Gun Bunny Actual yeah, on, yeah. Uh, on Instagram. Like she's been on there a couple of times and she's been on a bunch of podcasts. And I love listening to those because it's just that different perspective on um, – you know, aviation and what we do, even as a warrant officer, when I go talk to dudes like, you know, Anthony or eat lift pool pitch or any of those guys, like why, why we all do it is so different, you know, for, um, for me, like I grew up around aviation and I got into this because it was kind of following a passion. Like, yeah, I wanted to serve my country and I was on the route to do that anyway when I was in college, but I, my oldest memory is me sitting on a tail or like on the uh, landing gear of my dad's Cessna at like three years old. And, you know, going through high school, I was an, I was an awful student. It didn't really click for me until college, but like, I always had that dream of like being an aviator and I thought I wanted to fly F-18s and yeah. like do all this stuff. That wasn't, <laughs> that was not going to happen. But then I did well in college and I met a W five who kind of steered me. He was actually the command W five over at one sixtieth, And he kind of like mentored me to get into this program and to like go through and here, you know, here we are several years later, but you know, I think that's really interesting. Like why we all do it. Cause it's so different for everybody. Yeah, absolutely, man. I, so I was the opposite. I did not grow up around it at all. Um, and as, as cheesy as it sounds like watching Top Gun is like an eight year old kid was like man that would be that would be fucking sweet and then uh we used to go to charleston a lot in the summertime i had family in Polly's island and we'd always stop in charleston for a day and so i remember going out to that old carrier that they have that's retired there and like going up on the flight deck and they've got like some old planes and stuff sitting up there and like walking around as a little kid and like man that would be so sweet to to like land one of those things on this giant boat um and that was kind of it like i was like it was always like a pipe dream kind of thing you know and then uh yeah i uh I got, I played soccer for the majority of my life and I got recruited, uh, from the Merchant Marine Academy, which is, I had never even heard of the place and, and then, and then Annapolis. And I was like, Oh wow. Like I never really thought I was smart enough to get into one of those schools, but maybe the soccer thing can help me out. And 
long story short, I, I ended up going to the Merchant Marine Academy and um, you can branch, you can, you can branch into any branch you want to, to fulfill your, your service obligation or whatever. And um, without going into too much details, you know, that's how I ended up landing into army aviation, flying helos and stuff, which I mean, it's, that's it's crazy, man. Like if you had talked to me when I was a freshman in high school, like, and be like, Hey, would you like to be a pilot? I would have jumped all over it. But like, other than that, like I had no plan to go do that. I was just trying to like, you know, get into school and that's go do whatever the hell you're supposed to do. You know, it's, it's pretty wild. That's, that's awesome. See, like, and, and even for me, like I have, I don't think I've ever met anybody that went to the Merchant Marine Academy. That's dope. Like I, I guess my thought of that, cause like, I remember looking into it like back years ago and I guess I just like, I knew they had every, it's sort of like the Citadel, like they have like every kind of branch or whatever. Yeah. But I always just assumed you'd end up on a boat. Yeah. You know? Um, I mean, I can talk about it a little bit, I guess it's for one, most people don't know what the hell it is. So like people ask me, Oh, where'd you go to school? I was like, ah, it's a small school in New York. Probably haven't heard of it. It's called Merchant Marine Academy. (laughs) Like, Oh yeah. What the hell is that? Um, so yeah, it's, it's interesting. You're, you technically like you swear into the Navy, your freshman or plebe or whatever you want to call it. Um, and everything is obviously centered around commercial shipping and stuff. You do a, what ends up being like a 300 day internship split over your sophomore and junior year. You get to go out to sea, and honestly, that's the best part about the program because as a 19, 20-year-old kid, you're getting thrown into different countries and different cultures and getting to get a taste of that and like really appreciate what we have here. I mean um, – So you know, kind of like you're kind of getting the idea of almost what the military or what like the military culture of traveling would be like but as, as, really, as a really young kid, you know? Exactly. Um, and it's cool, man. It, you get – a lot of learning experiences from that and a lot of appreciation for, for where you come from. And that's what most guys do. I mean, probably 70 to 80% of the dudes will graduate. They'll go either work for oil rigs, commercial shipping, whatever as engineers or mates and do that. Cause there's, I mean, it's, there's great money in it. And then they'll do like an eight year reserve right. commission and stuff. And then the other guys will go active duty. And most of the dudes that go active duty are pilots. Um, it's like a great backdoor into flight school. I could probably do like, we could probably do a whole episode on it at one point for guys. That That, that would be, yeah, that would be a really interesting idea. I mean, and I can, I can totally relate because when I went to Western Kentucky university and Oh, hell yeah, man. Yeah. yeah, I know. I I was, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I know WKU. I was, that's all. I'll just leave it. Oh there. yeah, WKU's WKU's a it's a time man, and I, I studied nutrition and dietetics starting okay. out. Um, so, and, and I did that more at the time because you know I was big into racing bikes, big into racing triathlons. I was an endurance athlete. I loved everything about nutrition. My parents called me a food Nazi. It was a great life. Um, but like. Growing up though, you know, I did have like that interest in it because I are interested in aviation. Just, I did things like civil air patrol, um, which I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, but yeah, a like bit. the first time, yeah. Like the first time I was ever in a helicopter, I was in a Huey flying out of camp Dawson at, over like the cheat river in West Virginia at, you know, NOE flight. And, and here I am like a 14 year old kid, like this, and they, you know, they had it's a Huey. So like the doors are slid yeah, back. Man, and, awesome. Like it was just a dope experience. But then like after that experience, I didn't even think of a helicopter until I heard about, you know, the program to go in as a warrant. And I know that it's very, very different going in um, as, you know, as an RLO or real life officer, just because 
you know, I was in ROTC for a little bit. I, I kind of understand that process. I know how much more difficult it is for people to go that route as opposed to going in just straight as a warrant if you get picked up for, for the flight program. Um, but, you know, moving forward, you know, since then, I think it definitely, because I realized like my career future is probably not in nutrition and dietetics, given I haven't done that since college. Right. And so, you know, I, the benefit, in my opinion, of flight school is if you want to take that education that you may already have or are working towards, you can send that towards aviation, you know? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I finished, I used the whole credit thing that you get through flight school to finish a degree through Embry-Riddle and aeronautical sciences and kind of start pursuing that route, which I think is a great option for everybody because it doesn't necessarily matter, especially on the warrant side. Like a lot of guys don't have degrees or whatever. And I don't think it necessarily matters really until you hit that W3 looking at four or four looking at five, depending on how promotion rates, if they look at what you're doing outside of the army and they see you have a master's degree or you have at least your bachelor's done, that's I think going to give a, a big heads up. But um, no, man, that's, that's super cool. It's always interesting to hear like how people got in. Cause I feel like everybody's, everybody's process is so different. I mean, my process and your process are going to be different from, oh, yeah. you know, somebody who was a prior service guy's process, but everybody has that different reason of why they got into this. And that's, that's super cool. But which, which makes me think like when you get to flight school, that big wake up process that happens, because like for me, the studying wasn't the hard part. The academics, like in the classroom environment, wasn't the hard part. It was just the culture change, you know, cause going, I went straight from college to flight school. Right. So, you know, diving in with as a W1 with no deployment patch and no experience whatsoever. And I'm around all these prior service dudes, a lot of which were like E5s, E6s, E7s, yeah. an SF guy who, you know, was 13, 14 years in the army. And here I am just like, what am I getting into, you know? Yeah, it's a really cool program. Um, I mean, I didn't even know it existed. Most people probably don't know it exists, which is one of the reasons that, shameless plug, we're trying to start up that mentorship in the next year or so um, to kind of show guys the avenues of approach into military aviation. But um yeah, I could only, I mean, I felt even coming from like a, a, a military academy, like background and stuff. Again, I did Navy shit for four years. So like showing up the first day in the army, like literally I was in the Navy until the day I commissioned and like I put on an army uniform and fucking raised my hand and then like, all right, congrats, you're in the army. I was like, I'd never done land nav or any of that shit. So like that was all brand new when I got down there. And um, I'm like trying to meet people. I'm a pretty shy dude for the most part until I like get to know guys. So I'm like trying to figure out what's going on. They're like, oh yeah, uh, we got like formation. I'm like, uh, is that like muster? Like what is that? Like just like different <laughs> yeah, lingo and stuff. <laughs> yeah, it was like a huge. It was a huge learning curve for me too. It's funny, but like, yeah, man, it's that's like the cool thing about it. And Brett, well, I'll wait. I'll let him like tell his own story. But he's got a he's got a really pretty uh, awesome story of like where he started as like a kid and how he ended up doing what he's doing today is yeah that's is awesome cool um definitely I, looking forward to having him on man yeah man he's be, he's gonna be getting settled into brag here in a little bit and get all his equipment we'll get him mic'd up um but yeah man that's the coolest part about the military though is you get dudes from all different walks of life and like Absolutely. all of their experiences and stuff come out and you get to learn about people and i think it's one of the reasons the bond is so tight too is it's like you have all these people from all different parts of the country, maybe even the world and stuff. And then like, you all have like one thing that's tying you all together and brings you together. It's, it's pretty bad. At. I mean, that's no, the best part about the, cool. the army is like the, the people, I mean, the dudes you meet, you're going to have like friends for the rest of your life and stuff. So it's pretty awesome. No, you don't, and I you don't totally get agree that. with you. Yeah. 
I totally agree with you. And I'm sure that transition, <laughs> I can't even imagine what the transition from like all the terminology you show up, you call a guy a seaman and he probably gets very offended at first <laughs> because he doesn't understand. And so you're sitting there like, okay, this is, do I call you, do I, what do I call you? <laughs> yeah. No, but no, I totally, I totally understand that. And, you know, for me, I think going through Warren Officer Candidate School and go, like going through that process wasn't like, like, I didn't think the school was that hard and it was like a good ease in because obviously like I had to go through basic training, then Warrant Officer Canada School and then all that. And I didn't really like, like basic obviously teaches you some stuff. Like it is what it is. It's basic training. And then you go to Warrant Officer Canada School, which I think a lot of people mistake because it's very much a, it's a leadership school. Like, yeah, you do a lot of PT. Yeah, you do a lot of running and things like that. Um but then during the day, most of the time you're in classes. And I will say like of all the you know history stuff that was cool to learn, but not necessarily impactful on like where I am now, I will say like some of the basic stuff you learn for me, especially like how to write a memo yeah. and how to, you know, like what, what is an OER? Because I can tell you when I went to Warren Officer Candidate School, I didn't know the first thing about an officer evaluation or what that even was or looked like. Or the time frame, or that we even had them. Like I, I, I had heard of them, but I didn't know that process. So like, it, it's good for that stuff. And you know, it is what it is. You do your culminating FTX like every school, and then you know you go about your way to flight school. Um, now, like it, when you went to flight school, because I'm not really sure how our timelines kind of match up. Were you? Did you guys still do Dunker and all that stuff? Yeah, because man. When so I went through, I graduated in January of 2015. So yeah, we got down there. I know that they since going through Triple C, we you know you meet up with some of the the guys that are in Bullock and stuff and talk to them. I know they've kind of changed around the pipeline a little bit. Um, I don't think they do Dunker anymore, and then they have like some Bullock stuff that they do on the back end now as well. Um, gotcha. Yeah, when I got down there, um, we did Bullock for however long it was, maybe like a couple months, and then um, I think you roll in from Bullock to Sear. And then maybe after that, I don't know. I feel like Dunker was during ground phase or something before you. Right. Yeah. That's, um, that's kind of how it was. I did Dunker in between. Um, cause I graduated not too long after you. Okay. So kind of like I went from walks and then I immediately had like our Thanksgiving break. Yep. And then we did, I did Dunker in like December, started Bullock in January. Um, and so when I went through it, it's probably the same exact thing that you did. The warrants and the lieutenants were combined in Bullock. Yep. And I think shortly, you know, shortly after that, I think they split it and had like a basic officer leadership course and then a warrant officer basic course. Oh, okay. And who I don't know how they do it now. It's all kind of it's all kind of different with the transition um, you know, during flight school. Uh but you know, I, I think that I think that the big thing um and it's probably the most memorable thing for me, or one of them, is the the first time that you go into that primary classroom. Cause like Bullock is what it is. Sear sucks, but you know it, it it's a good school. Um, but then that first time, like you, you know, for weeks it's coming up that you're going to have to stand up in front of your entire class, <laughs> sit there and answer a question. Uh, yeah. It didn't matter, man, how much I would study. Like when I would stand up in front of the entire class and all these instructor pilots who are like 80 years old and fucking fought in Vietnam. And I'm like, okay. Um, and it would be like a basic question. Like how many blades does the TH 67 have? And I'm like, blue. You know, but it's yeah. just like you stand up and you just, 
you don't know how to respond. And that was, that was a big wake up call for me because it didn't matter if you answered it right or wrong. You knew that you were going to get slammed immediately with like six more questions that you didn't know anything about, you know? Yep. Yeah. It was the same. I mean, I, in general, don't enjoy getting up in front of a room of people. Um, especially like when you're brand new and you still like don't know everybody and stuff and then being, you know, trying to recall something from memory with all the crap you're pounding in there. Yeah. It's terrible. I feel like I got lucky for the most part. Like I feel like I, I was really good at flying on the radar. I get like minimal questions asked throughout my entire like flight school career of like getting put on the spot. Like it happened a few times, but there were definitely guys that like, that's the problem. Like once you screw one of them up, then you're like red flag. That's one of those guys. And those guys constantly get hit on all the time. And they're like the dudes that oh, are always I standing I up. I was one of those guys. <laughs> I was absolutely one of those guys. And, and my IP knew it, man. He was like, we would, he would literally be like three people away and I would look down and like, I, I knew that I'd be like red and kind of sweating because I'm like, man, I, I kind of studied, but I didn't really study. And he would just look at me and be like, are you ready? And I'd be like, no. And he'd be like, well, too late. Like too bad, man. Like it's gonna, you're gonna have to do it. And I'm like, uh, all right. The only saving grace was like the foreign dudes who just had learned English when yes. they were coming through flight school with oh, us. God. And like, I was so happy when one of those guys, uh, cause they swapped them around cause they had two, they had two foreign, uh, guys with one instructor pilot and he had his hands full. And so they swapped my, uh, stick buddy with him. And so that was like my saving grace. Granted, a lot more was expected of me because like he would always get everything wrong. And then it would immediately be like, okay, Mr. H what's the, uh, what's the answer to that? And I'd be like, uh, <laughs> you know, so it was kind of good and bad or indifferent, but I, I did learn a lot about, you know, kind of their culture through that and what their process looked like. But man, that was, that was undoubtedly the worst, the worst portion of flight school. But I did get lucky moving on, you know, moving into the 60 course. I had a guy who, had something crazy like 11,000 hours in a Blackhawk. And he was a Sikorsky air, like he was a Sikorsky airframe instructor. He was like one of the test pilots when the Blackhawk was being developed. And what I learned from him was just, it was invaluable, man. It was absolutely incredible. Um, But, you know, (laughs) I think that's probably, it's probably good on, on flight school stories. Just because people are like, Oh my God, shut up. One time (laughs) at flight school, (laughs) you know, Um, but you know, a big thing that, that it does is it does bring all of our communities together. And though you and I are both, you know, UH 60 pilots, I think that it's, it's very much important because perhaps, you know, one of our listeners may not be in the process yet, or they may be in a process where they don't have an airframe yet. Mm -hmm. And what would your advice be? towards somebody that doesn't know what airframe they want or hasn't chosen their airframe yet. Because I know that we all go into selection, airframe selection with these, you know, pre-constructed ideas of what we want to do and what that airframe is. And, and what are your thoughts on that? Uh, Honestly, man, it doesn't matter. You're going to fall in love with whatever, whatever you end up flying. And at the end of the day, um, at least for my class and the class before us, you didn't really have much of a say unless you were number one or number two. My class had like 147 spot, one Apache, and the rest were 60s. And the guys before us was the exact opposite. It was all Apaches and like one H60 and one Chinook. So um, I can't speak for, you know, like Navy, Marine Corps, how those guys work and stuff. Um, I got some buddies that can maybe talk a little more intelligently about that. But for the Army, like... Yeah, I always thought an Apache would be badass because, you know, like coming from like wanting to fly fighter jets maybe as a kid and it's like, okay, well, like the Apache seems like the cool, like the cool guy helicopter or whatever. But I mean, 
I love the freaking 60, man. That's a great airframe. Um, I'm glad I went that route. So, you know, like I said, I think my opinion on it is no matter what you get, like that's going to be your aircraft and you're going to embrace it. And you're going to love yeah, it. Sure. And you're going to fall right in with talking shit about the guys. Don't fly it. So. <laughs> exactly. And I'm, man, I'm the same way. So I had an interesting perspective because we, I probably selected right after you did, just given our time frames, And we went through in that time frame where they were taking all the 64s from the guard. And so they were flushing all those 64s out into the active duty component. And so we were basically told prior to our selection, hey, you guys are all going to be 64 pilots. And though I went to flight school with this idea that I wanted to fly 60s, I kind of convinced myself in that process that I was going to be flying 64s, even though it didn't end up turning. Ours ended up being very similar to that. Like a class or two ahead of us was pretty much all, you know, Apaches. But then our class um, was the majority. I think there was a couple 47 slots, but they were only for uh, lieutenants. And then for the warrants, there weren't any 47 slots. Uh, we had a couple guard guys that were 47 guys, but outside of that, we had, I think, three or four Apache slots for the warrant officer side, and then the rest were 60s. Yeah. And um, my roommate at the time was actually, I think, our number one or number two in my, in our class, and he chose 64s. And so I had the benefit of seeing what that process looked like through him. And you're exactly right, man. Like, I fell in love with the 60 because it's what I fly. Any 64 pilot will tell you they love the 64 and it's better than everything else. And pretty much the only thing we all agree on is that the 47 is like the most chill aircraft you could ever fly, you know? So yeah. I mean, we're all jealous of the 47s and I feel bad for the Kiowa guys who got forced into other airplanes. Oh man, so, yeah. So I definitely think that, that that's accurate. Um, but you know, it's the bigger aspect is, is something that Brotalian has done and really what drew me um, to want to kind of collaborate with with you guys on this podcast. And I think that's because you guys have done something unique and that's bring all these airframes together. You know, you guys aren't centric though. Um, though you guys fly sixties, you know, you guys aren't centric to promoting just sixties. You guys are so good about incorporating every airframe and, and bringing the aviation community rather than the 60 community or 64 community or 47, you bring everybody together. And I think really, promote a lot of pride in what we do. And that's, you know, if you could talk a little bit about why you guys started Brotalian and, and what made you want to embark on this adventure, that would be awesome. Yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, we can dive right into it. So coming out of flight school, um, 2015, headed out to JBLM. I actually, my buddy uh, who ended up being one of my really good friends in, in flight school and stuff, Rich Schusler, um, I guess some of the ROTC guys will be familiar. They do like this thing called LDAC or whatever when they're cadets. And they, I guess it, I don't know if it still is, but it used to be out at Fort Lewis. And so he had already been out there before and stuff and had a good, he was like, hey man, this is like one of those duty stations that not everybody's going to try and fight for like Hawaii or whatever, but it's like a solid gig. It's really close to Seattle and Portland and stuff. He's like, let's just, let's, let's put it number one. Maybe we can get out there together and stuff. So we just, we basically like, we selected our 60s. And then we went in the other room, like wrote down our, our duty stations together, like line by line. So they matched right up and we both went out to freaking uh, JBLM and stuff. Um, he went straight into a PL spot and was like super bogged down with that. And kind of, you know, you're like brand new. You're trying to figure things out. You're fresh out of flight school. You're kind of overwhelmed. And then he got this new girlfriend. So like, I didn't get to hang out with him as much as I was hoping to. Um, so I was kind of like a loner for a little bit, hanging out in the S1 shop. And then I met Brett who I had seen in flight school and he had gotten there a little bit before me. 
I saw him down at Flight Ops one day and uh, we had a mutual friend who went to school with him and basically kind of told us to link up. And uh, he and then Kyle, the other guy, were hanging out at Kyle's house one day, just brewing beer and working out. And they texted me like, hey, man, if you want to come over and, and hang out with us, uh, we know we'd love to have you. I was like, oh, shit, man, like this is a chance to meet some friends. This could be I, I want to fuck this up. Um, and I was like, yeah, man, I'll be over a little bit. I got to work out real quick and then I'll pick up some beer and head over. And he's like, he's like, no, man, like you can work out over at Kyle's house. He has like a gym and stuff. He, he won't care. I was like, are, are you sure? Like, he's not going to mind. And I was like, he's like, yeah, man, just, just get over here. Stop being a nerd. Like, all right. So I show up like just tank tops and a silky or whatever. And they're like sitting outside shirtless. And, uh, he's got this massive garage, like full power rack, dumbbells and everything. He's like, Hey, what's up, man? Brett said you wanted to work out. Just like plug your iPod in and go to town, man. Like my, my gym is yours. I was like, Oh, this is awesome. These dudes are just like crushing weights and brewing beer and stuff. So long story short, we all became really close, um, all in the same battalion. And we started a little group chat, you know, figure out weekend plans, vent about work or whatever. Um, and you know, you can name the Apple, um, chats and stuff with multiple people. I don't know who it was. I want to say it was Brett, but it could have been anybody that just randomly, you get the little message one day and it was like, this group chat has been named Brotalian. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. It's like just a few bros in the battalion like to hang out, work out. You know, we're not all army. Like we have a life outside of that, that we do and share similar interests. Um, and so that chat, I mean, that chat still exists today <laughs> uh, with a couple that's other guys awesome. in it too. And that's kind of what started it all. We were working out in that same garage on uh, 622 MacArthur Street. And again, I think it was Brett that was kind of like, you know, the, this bro Italian thing is like really cool. We should just like make some t-shirts or something for shits and gigs, like wear at the beach or working out or whatever. I'm like, yeah, that's a good idea, man. So we're brainstorming ideas on like what we would put on it. Um, and I was like, I think an, an old school aviator look would be kind of cool. You know, like like the leather helmet and stuff and the goggles and all that kind of thing. And one of my best friends from high school is a pretty talented artist when it comes to sketching and stuff. So I sent him like a couple examples of a picture and like kind of told him what we were looking for. And he sketched it out and took a picture of it and sent it to me. And I was like, dude, that's perfect. That's freaking sweet, man. Uh, like that's what we're looking for. And everything works out for a reason, I feel like. And here it just continues. Like I've got the perfect sketch. And uh, one of my old soccer buddies, his younger sister had just moved out to Seattle and she like studied graphic design in college. And so I was hanging out with her one time. We were kind of telling her about it and she was like, oh, I do graphic design. Like I'd gladly do that for you guys for like 50 bucks or whatever, like, you know, just to get my name on something. So she came up, she turned it into an actual, you know, high definition graphic design. And then she totally built out like the letter one that just says bro Italian, like that was all her. And the T is actually a picture of Brett, like standing like that, that we had sent her. So that's how we got the two logos. We just that's made it. We just made a few shirts just for the guys. Like it was never meant to be what it is. Um, and so we wore them around and it kind of started to catch some traction. Like some guys would, would see them. Cause we immediately just got like a, the color we could wear under our, our top and stuff. So you take your top off at the office or whatever, and you could see it. And some guys like, Oh, that's cool. Like, what is that? And they're like, Oh, you know, Basically, we got enough interest to like make 20 of them or whatever and see if we could sell it. And then that just kind of spiraled into where we are today. Um, so, it, yeah, I mean, I guess long story short, that's, that's awesome. kind of how we came about. Um, the Instagram is huge. Obviously, um, you know, coming from the 60 background, a lot of our content is 60 heavy. But like you said, we don't – it's not discrimination, man. Like the majority of our content these days, especially with me not flying and Brett – and a liaison position too is like we just get submissions from guys so 
whether you're 47, 64 or whatever, like it's just about promoting the culture and everything. Um, and then the fitness thing is a huge aspect too. We try to like keep that in there as well. And it's, I know it's difficult, um, with guys schedules and stuff, but Kyle does like all our programming and everything. And he's working on like the RL tiered programs as well. Um, because that's like one of our pillars, if you will, as to like what we are, um, you know, there's all sorts of, um, different Instagrams and companies and stuff out there that are aviation centric. But like, as far as I know, we're the only ones that like have like flight and then fitness as well as like one of the things that kind of ties them together. And, and that narrows us down a little bit. Um, but there's definitely a small niche of people, for example, you, I mean, studying nutrition and stuff, um, in college and everything, like there's plenty of guys out there. Uh, Tony, another dude, Justin, like guys that are in the community that are super into, you know, both of those kind of things. I think that kind of, differentiates us a little bit, so to speak. Yeah, for sure. And, um, that's really cool that you guys are doing an RL progression type of, um, of programming. And for those of you who don't know what, you know, an RL progression, or maybe, you know, you don't have that in another branch. So RL or readiness level progression is what occurs when somebody shows up to their unit. So you're straight out of flight school, or maybe you just PCS, or you know you haven't flown in a long time. You go through readiness level progression because really, when you graduate flight school, or you come out of whatever training pipeline you're in, that's a li- like that's really just a license to learn. Like yes, you know how to operate an aircraft, you know how to go around and fly, but as you move through those readiness levels, you're learning mission tasks. Like yeah, you do. Uh, have those baseline skills reiterated. However, now you're learning how to do the mission at your unit. And and the big thing that changes is, for instance, like myself, I, I have an assault background. So I came out of flight school and went straight to an air assault unit. And what we do at the air assault unit is very, very different from what a 60 guy might experience at a medevac unit or uh, a CAC or command and control unit or something along those lines. And I think it's start. I think it's going to start turning into that way a little bit for the sixty four guys as well. Um, with the Kiowas going away and a lot of these uh, CAV units standing up to have a little bit different mission set, and I, I unfortunately can't speak on that too much. But I know we have guys like Eat Lift Pull Pitch and those guys who can speak yeah a lot on that because their mission sets kind of diversifying and changing a little bit. And a lot of that has to do with the technology that's coming into and the integration of UAS and all these other mm-hmm. platforms into their systems that, um, that's great that they get. I mean, we can't even get GPS on the mic model, so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's, it's fine. We'll continue doing NDB and VOR approaches until they all just disappear off the, off the map. But no, man, that's awesome. And I'm, I'm really happy that you guys have had the success, the success that you have. Um, just because I, I think that, and I know that you see it too. There are a lot of little companies here and there that pop up, but I think the aspect that they often miss that you guys really nailed was tying in a community. Um, because I mean, it, most people, especially at my unit, if they're on Instagram or, or types of social media, and I mentioned bro Italian, most of them know what it is. And I think that that says a lot when, you know, you have all these military apparel companies, but you guys are really the only ones centric to, to aviation. And I think that that's starting to, yes, while right now it might be army aviation, I think that that's starting to tie in people outside the army too. Um, and I think that as it grows, it definitely will. Yeah, I hope but so. No. Um, 
I, you know, I, I got a couple buddies, um, coming from the background and stuff that are in different branches and all that. So like, you know, we've given them some stuff and we have a couple guys, some Navy pilots and stuff that buy stuff from us every once in a while. So I, I do think it's like starting it. We're still really, even in the army community though, we're still really small. I mean, we're just now getting to the point for so long. It was just like something that we just did on the side that was kind of self-sustaining and really, um, really the past few months we've decided to like dig into it and like really give it this due diligence. I have to be honest, there's because we started it in, let's say either like late 2015 or early 2016 was like the official incorporation or whatever. And since then, I think every one of us at some point has been like, man, I'm not sure I want to do this anymore. Kind of thing. Like we've got a primary job. People now got kids and like wives and stuff. And like, I don't know how much I really want to put into it. And like, it's always taken the other two to be like, Hey man, like this has so much potential. Like we don't put a ton of time into it and like look at some of the traction it's already had. Like imagine what could happen if all three of us like did our due diligence and like set tasks for each other and just went out and like fucking crushed them. And so that's like kind of what we've been doing. And the podcasting like lined up perfectly with like when we were all just getting fired up about it. Um, and it's been crazy too. Like even over the past few months after like having our like our our heart to heart kind of talk about like what the future was going to be and deciding that we were in it for the long haul and like going to make this thing freaking happen. It's like the Instagram is gone. It's always been around, but like you could just like, I could log in and just see like every single day, every week, every month. It's just like exponentially growing compared to like kind of what it did before. It was like a few followers every once in a while. And like people actually like coming and commenting like, Oh, this is sick. Like, Oh, I fly this thing like over in Spain kind of thing. It's starting to get like foreign guys in the aviation community kind of involved and stuff. It is really cool. It's, awesome. it's, and it's humbling too. And, you know, we're still learning. We don't, you know, none of us have like an MBA or anything. Um, so it's just tr- kind of trial by fire and just a few like meathead pilots trying to figure out what we want to do. But it's really awesome to like when guys like you or, you know, somebody responds to like an email we send out thanking it for an order or whatever, like, hey, we love your guys stuff. Keep doing it. Like it's like little stuff like that. That's like, hey, man, like if if people are enjoying what we're doing and like, Take, can take a few seconds out to like DM us or send us an email and say they love what we're doing, then we have to be doing something right. And that's definitely like enough fuel to continue to build off of. So um, I no, think- absolutely. Yeah, and I, I appreciate it. And I, I do hope that it does grow into um, the other branches of service as well. But time will tell, I guess. No, and I, and I totally appreciate that too. Like the aspect of diving into something that really is kind of foreign territory because like I'm working on my master's right now, but it's definitely not an MBA. It's in sustainability. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's vastly different. And so in the process of kind of trying to get the ball rolling on this Redcon one solutions side, it's been a very large learning experience for me because here I am trying to talk to, you know, textile distributors, textile manufacturers, get quotes and the amount to even prototype a product is just, it's astronomical. And I, I didn't really know that at first, but then, you know, I look at it and I say, okay, well, anything that you're going to invest time into or money into, you have to do so with the idea that you're going to get something back. It's just like studying. If you put the time in, you're going to get something back. And that might be passing a check ride or getting an A on a test or whatever it may be. And I look at it the same way, like as the market, if you put that money in, sometimes you just have to hold long and know that it's going to be successful or that it's going to grow. And the way, you know, with Redcon 1, I kind of got the idea as I was sitting here and a buddy of mine that I was about to go fly with he 
looked down at his kneeboard and his kneeboard was just falling apart. And it was, you know, not really, um, not really uh, what I'll say is mission ready, which is kind of what brought up like their tagline or my, the tagline that I came up with was like mission ready when you are, you know? Yeah. And there was a company that was around, um, for several years out of Kentucky that made amazing products and they had a really, really, um, great kneeboard. However, the problem is that guy was active duty and he didn't have any help. He didn't have any other safety net for himself. And he started deploying a lot. I'm pretty sure he was a group guy. And so the, he, he kind of fell off. The problem was like, I didn't realize that until a couple buddies of mine went to go order from him and they bought the product and like a month had gone by and they emailed him and were like, Hey man, what's going on? And he's like, Hey, I'll just send you a refund. I'm not really able to process these anymore. And so I saw a little bit of a gap and I said, okay, I love the product because the product I have is from him. Right. And it kind of gave me inspiration to kind of build off that and then take, you know, that knee board and start integrating things that we're starting to use more in army aviation that other branches have been using for a while in terms of digital products and things like that. Because right now, if you have that knee board, you're having to plug it, or if you have a, an iPad, you're having to plug it into the door or, you know, some people, even though there's not an AWR for it, you know, stick a suction cup to the window. Yeah. And uh, so I was, I started looking at these ideas and I want to build a product and I'm in the process of kind of prototyping it right now that has the ability to, you know, have that notepad. But then if you want to use your iPad, you just have, all you have to do is snap it down into a quick, like a quick release type function on that kneeboard, but it still will have kind of a modular aspect to where if people want a pin holder on one side or, you know, a windowed sleeve on one side, they have that capability. And so the idea behind it is kind of uh, building a modular mission kneeboard to where somebody can have exactly what they need for their mission set, regardless of if they're an, you know, an Apache pilot or Blackhawk pilot or an F-16 pilot. And I hope that that's something that get, gets used. And then outside of that product that we're really developing, what I kind of want to do is take um, sort of the best of the best gear from several different companies and kind of bring it into a a one-stop shop for people. If, you know, if there is a headlamp that is preferred, I know a lot of guys that I fly with use a particular USB headlamp Yeah. or if there's certain things that people use all the time or that they really like bringing those products into one place that way, you know, if somebody is going to get a new kneeboard, they can get exactly what they want and the color that they want and it work for what they're doing and it not be so astronomically expensive that, you know, it's breaking the bank. But then also like if they need, you know, certain things like the pens with, you know, the, the iPad stylus and, and basic stuff like that, bringing that to one place that, you know, they can go and get rather than having to wait on their unit supply. And so that's kind of my idea behind it. But then on top of that, I was like, okay, that is, that is a, a function of the company, but I want to build this into something a little bit more and I believe like, that's kind of why I reached out to you guys. I don't think anybody brought this community together more than what you guys have, especially not the army. I think if anything, the army has pushed the community <laughs> apart into, you know, into separate yeah, places, I mean, uh, particularly, particularly the airlines, you know? So, um, that's kind of my idea with it. And it's definitely been a process because I'm learning as I go. I didn't know anything about textiles. I didn't know any, like, it's just, it's been a, both a nightmare and a blessing at the same time, because I have learned so much, but it has taken up so much time yeah. that I do have that same fear you guys have that if I get sent somewhere 
um, that that's going to be put on hold. So I'm trying to do this while building a little bit of a, of a safety net and people that can back up and you mm-hmm. know, keep that running. So I don't run into the same issues that, uh, you know, some other people have. And I feel like that's a, a big thing that happens with military, um, or with companies that are run by active duty service members is that they start it and it does really, really well for a period of time, but then, you know, they get deployed or something like that. Well, then their business gets put on hold for nine months or a year or whatever it may be. So I definitely respect you guys that you have, you've kept growing over several years and definitely that is a huge inspiration to myself because I look at that and it kind of gives me kind of a template to say, okay, well, if they're doing it, I know that I can build a little bit for myself to build as well. Um, so no, that's awesome. And then on top of that, I was like, okay, well, what can I do so that Redcon One Solutions is not just a product? It's not just a kneeboard. How do I interact with you know the customer base? How do I right. how do I you know how do I talk to these guys and say, hey, like we're not just a kneeboard. We want to hear what your experiences are. We want to try to bring people who are you know, very experienced, like Fred North, you know, I was so shocked when we sent out that email to him that he responded and was like, yeah, I'll do it. It's just, I'm all over the world every week. And I was like, Oh my God, what is happening right now? (laughs) We're about to have like the most famous helicopter pilot in the world on, on this podcast. But, you know, it kind of gave me the inspiration because I, that was that community aspect was really what I kind of had foreseen that I would be missing. And so teaming up with you guys was undoubtedly the best decision that I could have even asked for. And I think that out of this podcast, you know, aside from, you know, diving in and trying to take off with this idea that we had, I think that we, you know, ourselves as, as the hosts will gain so much out of listening to some of these very experienced guys or just different oh, aspects. Because I mean, even you and I being 60 guys, there's so much that I can learn from guys like Anthony and Justin or, you know, Fred North, you know, just because everybody's flight experience is so different. Yeah. And that's, I mean, first off, I got to congratulate you on what you're doing, man. Like it's a, it's an incredible idea. And the fact that you were able to like identify something that you really liked and then realize that now there's now a gap in that area. And then having like taking act, taking actions, like the key to anything, whether it's, you know, fucking academics, like investing, like whatever you want to do, like 90% 90% of people just like immediately count themselves out. Like if you just take a step forward and go after something like, yeah, you might fail, but like at least you made a fucking effort to go after it. And so I, I feel like if you talk to anybody who's, you know, started a company or just done anything outside of the norm, that'll be like one of the number one things they'll do is like take action. So like congratulations to you for doing that and like identifying something that could be pursued that ties the community together. I think it's a great idea, man. I'm excited to see, uh, what you end up coming up with and everything. Also, love the name Redcon One Solutions was really fucking cool. Um, and then, yeah, man. Obviously, I'm not. Fly. To, yeah, man. I'm not trying to fly a bunch, like throw a bunch of stuff at you. But like when you were talking about bringing other products together and everything, another thing that I kind of noticed, and this isn't our lane, but maybe it's yours down the road and stuff, would be like a helmet bag. Like I don't know about you guys, but I still have that shitty like woodland pattern helmet bag that, that I got. Yeah, so I looked into that. It's it's hard <laughs> to compete with that company from Korea though, man, other yeah. than the shipping. So, you know, it's funny that you bring that up because I did think about that, but the way I look at it is what I would probably, by the time I would do the prototyping, they have a somewhat similar product because they have a, they have an outstanding product that they're yeah. developing. And then the quality's actually, you know, not bad. It's, it's a decent bag. And a lot of guys in my unit particularly have it. The big thing that, that kind of sucks is that it, 
you know, you're going to pay like a hundred bucks for shipping. And so I look at that and I'm like, okay, well, the bag is, you know, 90 bucks or a hundred bucks, whatever it is. And I think shipping actually is like 50 bucks. I was exaggerating a little bit, but then, okay. So now your cost after taxes is really about 160, $170. Um, so a lot of people will team up and buy, you know, a couple bags at once to save on shipping. Um, and I look at that and realistically, though I do definitely think that that would be a great idea. I would have to do a lot of analysis and on how much it would cost me to prototype and how much it would cost me to develop that. And that, that was a huge wake up call for me to, with this process that I'm in right now with this kneeboard, because I'm like, okay, here's the cost of all these products. Here's the cost of what it takes for them to make it. And then, okay, now what kind of margin am I looking at? And even with this product right now, the price point that I'm looking at for the modular mission kneeboard is probably going to be about $110 to $115, which is, I feel it is substantially more expensive than something, you know, from like the hanger down at Rucker or sure. like a Flyboys kneeboard. But I think that the quality and then the ability to have a lot of different features on it that aren't available anywhere else will mm -hmm. kind of drive that. And I mean, I know, for instance, my kneeboard that I purchased from the company that's no longer really doing that, that was like 130, 140 bucks. And I know a ton of people who have them. So I know like that interest is there. Absolutely. And I think that if the pro it's just like with you guys, if the product's good, people will, people will buy into it. And so that's kind of where I'm at with it. If, if I look at it and there's enough interest in, you know, some type of, um, some type of helmet bag or a product like that. Once I, you know, once I finish this kneeboard prototyping and have quality and con like quality control and all that kind of stuff on it, I think maybe I'll start looking into that and having those discussions with the manufacturer be like, okay, realistically, if I wanted to make this, what is it going to cost? Because really like, I know that the company I'm working with, they made like a range bag, like a pistol range bag. Okay. And you know, it has like a pull zipper that has like two different sides and like you pull across the top on like one handle that goes to both zippers or whatever, sort of like the kneeboard bag from uh, the Korean company. And I know kind of what it costs them to make that bag. And realistically, the helmet bag would just be like a, a very like 10 times the size, you know, so it'd be just an enlarged version of that. Um, but obviously, I would have to change features. I can't just be like, oh, just multiply the fabric by 10 and give me the same product they have because that probably wouldn't turn out well for me. Yeah. Um, and I don't want to deal with a lawsuit, but um, but yeah, no, that that I think would definitely be good. And I think actually one of the you know one of the things with this podcast is in talking to people being able to see what they want for their mission set you know what exactly. is their area what is their area lacking you know because I know in the 60 community I know what kind of what I would want on a kneeboard but I I couldn't tell you what a 64 guy might use because they use some different products than what we do yep. they might carry different things than what we do and and it, that bleeds over into other airframes as well and other branches. Like I, I couldn't tell you what an F-16 pilot uses or doesn't use because I don't know how much is digitally integrated with their cockpit. You know, so I think that having those guys on here and, and hearing, you know, what they have to offer in terms of giving back to the community and giving us that knowledge will, will help me kind of guide my product to better, you know, suit what they want and what they need or what they're missing on top of just, you know, developing myself. Absolutely. So I think that'd be pretty cool. Yeah, man. And it, so on that, um, when I know you're in the prototype phase and stuff now, but for our listeners sake, um, and people that are interested, you know, what, what's your timeline on, on launching that bad boy? Is that still oh, work man. in progress? Or do you have an idea of when it might go live? 
So uh, it is. Uh, that's a difficult question. Way to put me on the spot. I didn't mean to put you on the spot. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, no it's, it's all good. Um, so right now, my ideal launch time is around December. Okay. And that is to try to hit. Um, and, and full disclosure and transparency, it's 100% to try the Christmas crowd. Absolutely. Um, and now what I do want to do is provided that I can get the quality and uh, quality control and everything done prior to, or like in enough time, I want to try to do like a pre-sale type thing. Um, maybe in November and give a little bit of a discount for the pre-sales. And then after, you know, maybe December 1st or a certain date around that point in time, um, just put it back at the regular price. And I'm not sure what that pre-sale is going to look like. It might be 15% off, 10, 15% off. It's not, I, because of the margins I'm looking at right now, I'm really not going to make a, a ton of money off of the product up front until we get it going. Because I mean, the way with, with the costs of these, until I see how receptive the community is, until I get the name out there, I can't, you know, I can't afford to purchase 300 products per color. So my cost is still going to be a little bit high until I get that, you know, I can get the interest and see, okay, this, these are the realistic numbers that I'm going to be looking up, looking at for sales per quarter. And then I can kind of project out what I would need to have in stock. Um, and I think that that pre-sale will kind of give me an idea um, because if I do the pre-sale in enough time, then I can get my manufacturer heads up and be like, Hey, I, this is, this is where I'm at. Let's go ahead and move forward and, you know, put out X number of products for December. That way, you know, people have them in time for, for Christmas and all I'm worrying about is, um, just getting them shipped, you know? So I, I think that'll be good. The only, you know, the only thing that could potentially throw like a ring in that is if like I get sent to Korea or something, but luckily my family has been pretty good. And, um, once this process is a little bit more solidified, um, I have a really solid family backing that is more than willing to help out with that process and keep that going if I do get sent somewhere, which is at the moment kind of my safety net until I decide to bring somebody else on or to do that. But um, until I kind of have the product and have an idea of where this is going, I, I don't want to bring a whole lot of people into it quite yet. Yeah. Um, just because there's no foundation and I don't want somebody to be brought in and then kind of left out to dry. Sort of like with this podcast, you know, until we had that good foundation of what we wanted out of this and until we talked to some people to, to bring on the show, I didn't want us to like go in too soon or too heavy without knowing that, you know, we were going to be able to get some of these really influential guys like Fred North and, you know, like Anthony or, you know, some of these guys that have a following, you know, that that have a little bit of a following people know their name. Um, But no, I'm excited. And I think that us giving, I think this is a great way for us to give back to the aviation community and, because so much of what we do now is is driven by social media. Like I've, I've followed Fred North for longer than I can imagine. And every time I see his videos, I'm like, that is absolutely dope. Minus the video, <laughs> minus the... Minus the video that was posted like two weeks ago with a black hawk like halfway chopping down the tree when they were doing the filming. I don't know if you saw I that. I haven't or not. seen that one yet. No. I'm gonna have to send that to you. Yeah. So he was these two sixties, I I don't know what movie they were filming for, but they're on this ridge line and they kind of like pop up to do like a um almost like a pitch over and the second one comes up and Fred is like filming it from his helicopter. These two sixties coming up. The first one clears this tree. The second one comes up and just 
nails the tree with their tip caps, like branches flying all over the place. And I was just like, Oh, it took me twice to see it. Cause I was like, I don't know what he's talking about. Then I looked at the tree the second time and I was like, Oh my God, that day I just, yeah, they were, they were old Lima models too, or out maybe alphas, who knows because yeah, they're being sure. used for film. But I was like, Oh my gosh, that is, that's insane. But like every time I see his stuff, I'm just like, man, you are incredible. Like there's the, there's one video of him and I don't want to steal too much of his thunder because I think that he's going to be able to bring our listeners so much more information than what I ever could about him. But he, um, he, they were filming for Triple Frontier, which is that Netflix yes. movie. And so they had an aircraft that was, um, I, I guess they had like the point of view perspective on the front of the aircraft, right? And so he was basically maneuvering his his working aircraft to make it look like he had this tail rotor malfunction. So basically he just had full pedal and spinning all over the place. Well, he obviously still has full control of this helicopter while another helicopter is within probably three rotor discs doing circles around him because then I guess I go back and CGI that to make it look like the, the aircraft they use in the movie. So it's just stuff like that, that this guy has done that really inspires, you know, me and, and we're all kind of this way. Like, I don't know if after the military I'll stay in aviation. Ideally I'd like to, because it's my, what I'm passionate about, right. but you know, I mean, seeing that definitely inspires me because no, we don't get to fly every day at work. And I think that's a big misconception. A lot of people have about army aviation and especially as an RLO, I know, you know, (laughs) you you don't get to fly very much, but even as a warrant officer, like you're not flying every single day, but it's so refreshing to like go on and see like one of your guys posts of these guys just getting after it somewhere in the world. Yep. And then see guys like Fred North posting of them, like getting after it and flying on coastlines and doing all this stuff that we fantasize about. Maybe, a handful of times get to do. And so I think really tying into tying into those experiences will, will bring a lot of joy and a lot of kind of direction for our listeners um, in terms of just all the possibilities that are out there. Um, another person that I think would be very interesting to have on is the guy who actually started up RTAG. And I know that's kind of a taboo subject right now with people transitioning over the airlines, but Eric Sabiston is a really, really incredible guy. And I need to reach out to him because I think that if we're going to talk about aviation and it's not just army because people, you know, aviation's facing a lot of stuff in the future period between transitioning over to unmanned aircraft and everything else. I think tying in somebody like him who has literally been living, helping people in that transition phase over to what are they going to do with their aviation experience from the military? I think that having him on will really, not only for army aviators looking to potentially trans like transition out and having a realistic idea of what that looks like. I think that that will really translate to other branches as well, because I know it's not just us that are feeling the pain right now. It's air force Navy. Um, I do not know a single Marine helicopter pilot, so I couldn't tell you, I couldn't tell you what they face or don't face um, other than, you know, running out of crowns, but they, uh, you know, it's something that's real. And I think that is something that we can really offer back to our listeners. Yeah, I totally agree, man. Um, on the Fred North subject, I was fired up because when I woke up and saw that text from you, you're like, I'm not sure if you know who he is or whatever. And I was like, yeah, man, I don't think I've been following him as, as long as you have. Um, but I did follow like, I think it was like hashtag helicopter or some hashtag I followed. And like, 
it was probably a year, a year and a half ago. And, you know, it had somebody had like reshared one of his posts and it was, I don't, and I, I couldn't do it justice of like what it was, but it was basically him ripping around the NOE, like between these mountains and stuff. It's like, God, that's fucking sick, man. That looks awesome. I was like, who is this guy? Anyway, so I click on his thing and then you, you can scroll through and see all this. Oh, this guy does like feature films and all this kind of crazy stuff. It's like instant follow. Um, Anyways, yeah, yeah, man, I'm really excited to bring that guy on. And I I think the podcast is going to be a great forum for aviators um, in all positions and all branches to just talk about the community, challenges it faces. I think that the the biggest thing that we hope to give back to you guys out of this podcast is – you know, the idea of a pilot's lounge, you go into a pilot's lounge, you're, you're shooting the shit, you're talking about stories and experiences. But I think that the biggest aspect of a pilot's lounge is you usually walk out knowing something that you may not have known before. And I know, especially in the culture of my company, a lot of times, yeah, it'll be the PIs in there while the track guys are off doing their stuff. But then the track guy comes in and talks about an experience and then he may walk out. But you know what happens is that the PIs or those younger guys end up continuing that conversation about that experience and talking through, okay, well, why, maybe why did he do that? Or why did that happen the way that it did? Or they walk away just learning something that they had no idea about before. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's really what we're looking to do. Even if it's just hearing some incredible stories of a film pilot flying all over the world, working with some of the biggest names in Hollywood, you know, that that's still something that can be learned from. And that's really what I'm I'm hoping to get out of this journey with, uh, with the pilot's lounge. Yeah, man, to caveat on that. So not only are you learning and stuff typically in those rooms, but it's also um, nine times out of 10 that that group is getting tighter. So by sharing those stories and everything, like they're coming together as one, which I think we can both agree on. It's like what we're trying to do with this podcast with bringing together the community from different branches and everything all into one spot. Um, And I, I think it'll serve that purpose as well. So I'm fired up for the future. Absolutely. Well, Spencer, I do appreciate uh, you joining me. And for the future, um, to our listeners, Spencer and I will be co-hosting the Pilots Lounge uh, throughout the entirety. Some weeks it may be just myself, some weeks it may just be Spencer, but we'll try to be together as much as we can uh, throughout the process of bringing on these these really incredible guests that we're trying to line up for you guys. So I do appreciate everybody joining us today, and I look forward to having you again. Thanks, man. Pleasure to be here. Hey guys, we hope you enjoyed the episode. Stay tuned. Our next episode is going to be with the Mr. Fred North, Mr. Hollywood himself, the guy who flies under bridges and in between light posts on highways. We are super excited to share his experiences with you guys, and we look forward to having you back. 